but Chris, there's just one other thing at the share with the folks about how you may, you may, I remember you, I don't recall meeting you in 2011. I was just too a little overwhelmed with the whole experience, <laughs> but I remember getting to know you in a show, snowshoe race. I think it was the snowshoe nationals in Vermont. It may yep. have been 2014 or something. That's right. And the story is important to me and I'll get to the reason why we're like trudging up prospect mountain or whatever it was called. And you, you know, you went flying by me to the extent that you can fly by anyone on snowshoes going uphill. And you actually said, you know, said something to me like good work, uh, you know, but you took the time to say something and a lot of people don't, and you were the only one who did. Uh, and so after the fact, I came, I, I remembered what you were wearing or something. I met up with you in the lodge and I, I thanked you because that is important to me. And that's something that I do. Uh, I ran a race whenever I run a race. If there's someone anywhere near me, I try and bring them along. I'm like, you know what? I don't go into a race expecting to win. I'm like, come on. If I can do it, you can do it. Stay with me. I'm like always trying to like coach people up. Like, uh, and I, you took the, and you took the time to do that, and that's that's when I I connected with you, and then I think we've our paths have crossed a number of times since then. But that was important to me. Hello, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast coming to you from the Ascend Human Performance Coaching Studios here in rainy Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete told to the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Warren Angel joins the show this week. What are the chances running can save your life not once, but twice? Well, that's exactly what happened to Warren. At two very different times in his life, for two very different reasons, running was his salvation. Yet despite that, as you'll hear, running isn't what defines him. This intrepid explorer lives by the philosophy that adventure is everywhere. And he, more than anyone I've ever met, embodies that credo. I mean, seriously, who finishes an Ironman distance triathlon a year after learning how to swim? This story will inspire you, I promise that. Here's Warren Angel. Warren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. It's nice to see you. You too, as well. It's been it's been a little bit. It has. I think uh, it was a mountain race a couple of years ago. <laughs> Almost certainly, it was a <laughs> it was a mountain race. Um, you know, along that along that vein, um, I think it was 2011. It was the first year that you had gotten into snowshoe racing, competitive right. snowshoe racing. Yep. And I think it was, um, well, I'm, I'm going to guess, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that it was 
it was February of 2011, and you uh, accompanied your Tuesday night turtle teammates up to Merrimack, New Hampshire, to do one of the snowshoe races in the Granite State Snowshoe Ra uh, Race Series, and that was Horse Hill, the Horse Hill Snowshoe something or other. That, that is uh, correct. In, in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Um, and I believe that may not have been your first snowshoe race, but I believe it was the first time that you and I raced against each other. That's correct. On snow. Warren, yep. you know, that, again, that was 2011. Man, for the last decade, uh, I have, I, I've had this burning question, <laughs> and I'm hoping that you can shed some light on it. Um, <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Warren, what, what happened on Tuesday nights? Uh, well, the, the, the group would get together and run and have beer. And I think the running was just an excuse to get together to have beer. I'm pretty sure so, that was okay. the impetus for the Tuesday night turtles. Yeah. So, so essentially, uh, a, a drinking club with a running problem. 100%. That is 100% accurate. <laughs> As I was looking at the photos, which, which I will eventually share with you when I was looking at the photos, uh, from that snowshoe race. Um, you finished, uh, you finished 13th overall that day. You probably don't remember that. I don't you, remember that. You finished 13th overall that day. And I, again, 2011, um, the Granite State Snowshoe Series had been going fairly strong for, for a few years. And so, um, therefore the, um, the fields were, um, were, were fairly large for a snowshoe mm -hmm. race. We're talking, you know, 75 to a hundred snowshoers. Now I, I get it in the road racing scene, 75 people isn't a lot, but, yeah. but you know, from your experience in, in snowshoe racing, 75 people is a lot of people, particularly, um, with the, with snowshoe race courses that were predominantly single track, right. Things right. get really tight yes. very quickly. And also not only were the field sizes, uh, pretty significant at that time, um, but the depth of competition was also pretty strong. As I looked at the photos, uh, again, I, you, as I was sort of counting, counting up uh, the number of people that had finished ahead of you. Again, I believe you finished 13th overall. Just ahead of you uh, were, were were two people that I knew really well and and raced against during that time: Sean Snow and Michael Wade. Mm -hmm. um, Sean Snow from his own race team, uh, uh, S2 Endurance, and Michael Wade at that time uh, ran for the Gate City Striders. But as I looked um, a little bit further up in the field. Um, I noticed your, your teammate, uh, David Principe senior, correct. Uh, yes. was, uh, was there, uh, he finished, uh, he finished easily, uh, in the top five or six. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe you were the second turtle that Possibly. day. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but you weren't the only turtle that day. There were, uh, there, there were others and, and, and at that time, and, and I'm curious to get your, your, your insight on this. Um, the Tuesday night turtles were, they were, they were really big supporters of the Granite State snowshoe series. They would always show up in, in right. really good numbers. Scott Mason, uh, David Principe, uh, senior Bob Jackman, Robert Jackman, yes. uh, Jackie Jackman, um, right. uh, Martin Ting, uh, yes. I think did a handful of snowshoe races, right. David Principe junior, junior at right. that time. who was only like 10, 11, 12 years old yes. was racing on, on snowshoes yes. as well. Um, uh, um, what, what do you remember Warren about, about, about those, about those times? And also 
<laughs> How did your Tuesday night turtles teammates uh, 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 talk you into uh, snicker you into uh, into coming up and, and doing a snowshoe race? Uh, well, first of all, one of the things I do remember that race was my first race. I remember it was like a, a nothing I've else experienced because you were pretty much anaerobic. You hit it, you hit, reached anaerobic capacity stage right away, and you just maintained that the whole way. It's just a road race is not like that. You can kind of like back off or maybe enjoy a downhill, but I was like, you were gassed right from the beginning. And the start where you all had to funnel into the single track, I mean, that was, that was crazy. And I had not experienced that before in any kind of competitive event. So I remember thinking, wow, this is, uh, this is wild. And I do remember it was a double loop and at the top it crested and then you, there was a steep downhill. And I remember David Princeby Jr. was had fallen and I pretty much had to run over him and I was torn between helping him uh, uh David Prince Jr. is probably a foot taller than me now it's probably the one and only time in my life I actually beat him because now you know he went out to do have great success in high school and the collegiate world and he's still enjoying great success you know sub four mile or so I just remember thinking what do I do here I'm starting. I'm, I'm in my own survival mode because I've never competed in this kind of event before. And then I see someone who's down, but he, I, I figured he was going to get it together. So that was a, that. I'll never remember. Forget that race for sure. That was uh, that was quite an experience. But I just remember thinking I was hooked because uh, it, I like. Uh, first of all, I like. I love the fact that the races were smaller. Uh, I enjoy smaller races. We can maybe talk more later about cyclocross and stuff, but I like smaller events. It's a different kind of camaraderie, you know, in a a road race with thousands of people, no one's really looking out for anybody else. It's, you know, everyone's on their own. So the before and after the race, people are socializing. I forget the gentleman's name who used to, he and his wife were being the big pot of soup. Do you remember that person's name? Yeah, uh, Michael Amarello. He was yeah. the he was the race director for a couple okay. of those races, including Horse Hill. Yeah. So you know, it was just you know, you get together, you know, laugh afterwards. You know, how many times did you fall down? Uh, you know, just and then you know, we'd always uh, grab uh, a beer on the way home somewhere in uh, New, Southern New Hampshire. So it was just, like I said, I was hooked. Uh, I'm not sure how they convinced me to go the first time, but once I experienced it. I'm like, this is my kind of, this is my kind of uh, event. So I was hooked after that. And in the following years, I know I went to more and I'm, I was saddened that as the local weather, things changed, you know, you, I, you tried to, you were trying to keep it together and you, you schedule them, but then you'd have to cancel them or turn it to a trail race. And it just became less and less viable. And it was uh, sad. Yeah. Uh, I missed those. It's exactly what happens. It happened. And uh, we should also give the listener a little bit of context. So uh, the Tuesday Night Turtles are a Rhode Island based uh, uh, running club. Uh, you are from Rhode Island at that time, lived in Rhode yeah. Island. I think you still live in Rhode Island. Um, right. So um, and there weren't, to my knowledge, there weren't any snowshoe races in Rhode Island, uh, yeah. at least in the part of Rhode Island that you guys were from. The uh, There were oh, none. Warwick, Rhode Island, yes, neck of the yeah. woods, yeah, right. So That's sort correct. of coastal Rhode Island, um, yeah. and so so the, the Tuesday Night Turtles, yourself included, uh, would travel, would travel to New Hampshire, and and in the heyday of snowshoe racing, 
Um, you know, there generally are 13 weekends in the wintertime. You know, there, there was a snowshoe race somewhere in New England. Well, certainly somewhere in New Hampshire, at least 10 of those 13 weekends. Yes. Um, and then, you know, there were snowshoe races somewhere in New England every weekend. Yes. Um, none of them in your backyard. So you guys were always traveling. Yes. Oh, and you yeah. always traveled. You always traveled really, really well. Warren, yeah. was the... Was was the travel part of the camaraderie as well? Part of the part of the experience, getting together and, and and sharing that time with with friends and teammates. Yeah, absolutely, and especially you know the way home. Like I said, we would uh, we would get together. We'd find some lo uh, some local place that was serving good craft beer, and we would just get together and uh, talk about you know the race or actually or not. You know, that's one of the things. I'm one of those people. I love to run, but I don't like to talk about it. It does not define me. It's uh, it's something I enjoy doing, but I'd rather talk to you or, uh, what do you, you know, what are you up, what are you up to your travels? What are your kids up to? You know, uh, you know, so it was more just about, could be anything. The Patriots, you know, it was just, uh, it was just a good time to catch up with friends, uh, and just it was just enjoyed each other's company. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was a it was a great time for that. Um, Chris, I want to say that. Because all these races were capped, I I have to sign up before they uh, to get into these races. Not only was there a race every weekend, you had to get in early. Is that correct? You had to cap them. Uh, well, <laughs> well, what what I what I will say about that is that um, the the one race that I that I know had a cap, and I, I was the race director for yes. uh, for um, at least two of the races in this series at the time. Uh, I hosted the Granite State uh, Snowshoe Championship every year. Yes. Uh, which was the the culminating event. We didn't we we generally didn't cap that. The one event that we did cap, and I'm wondering if you ever participated in it, was the Kingman Farm Moonlight Snowshoe Race. At the time, it was the only nighttime yes. snowshoe race. We held that uh, at Kingman Farm in Madbury, New Hampshire. It was a uh, I don't know three three and a half mile loop uh, in the woods uh, under the cover of darkness. So you had to wear a headlamp. Um, did, did you ever, and that was capped only because we were limited by the amount of parking, um, that, that we could offer. Did you ever have the opportunity, Warren, to come up and do that nighttime snowshoe race? So I signed up, uh, and I don't know if I didn't make it because of injury or conflict, but I never actually got to experience it. Uh, or was it ever, or if it was canceled, I'm not sure if it was ever canceled. Could have Probably been canceled. Not. Yeah. 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 But no, no, I did not experience it. Well, your teammate, Bob Jackman, uh, has a number of, um, interesting stories to tell about that race. I'll tell, <laughs> I'll tell one very quickly. Uh, so as, as you and I both know, Bob Jackman, uh, is an incredible athlete, incredible runner and, and, hmm. uh, talented on all surfaces, right. Uh, yes. uh, from, from cross country to road, to trail, to mountain, and even on snow, uh, yep. uh, uh Bob, very, very talented runner. And so he was always toward uh, up near the front of the field. Right. And, yeah. and any of the snowshoe races that I ever raced, uh, with him, uh, or any of the, any of the snowshoe races that I hosted, well, that one year at, at Kingman farm, uh, because the Kingman farm property is very popular with dog walkers and it's, you know, it's a public place. We, mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't have exclusivity with, <laughs> with the, with the trail network. Um, Bob really sort of had the, had the, had the, the, the snake bit luck of, um, being tackled by a fairly large golden doodle um who somehow got got 
was on a leash, but when Bob ran by, the dog in, in its excitement sort of lunged toward him, <laughs> not to bite him, but just to say hello, uh, and got all up in Bob's snowshoes and ended up resulting in Bob tumbling down. <laughs> that might have actually been the same race in which, um, in that disorientation, um, Bob missed a turn and then ended up, uh, <laughs> he, en he ended up, he ended up, he ended up back at the start finish area, having cut maybe a mile and a half of the course. And he literally was like, there was like, he was the first finisher by a lot, but based on the direction that he came, I knew that he had not gone the right way. And he was so flustered that he yeah. had somehow missed a turn. Oh man. And I, I mean, I felt awful for him, but, but you know, you know, Bob, he's uh, yeah. just, he's just a very nice guy about oh, all yeah. of that. And he certainly, yeah. He had every right to be really angry and irritated about it, but that's not his nature. So he yeah. kind of smiled it off and uh, went back out to find where he had the turn he had missed. Yeah. I think he still finished in the top 10, even though he yeah. was tackled by a golden doodle and got off yeah. course. Um, and I, I may be combining two different, two different uh, race experiences yeah. for him, but, but both of those things most certainly happened. Um, just, just a fun fact about Bob. Uh, so to my point earlier, uh, you know, I like, running you know running doesn't define me and and that's one of the things i love about bob bob is an amazing bowler i think he bowled at 300 you know whatever they call it i'm like that's amazing <laughs> i told him when that happened i said bob, i'm more impressed with that than if you had rolled out of bed and done a sub four minute mile i mean that was just blew me away <laughs> that's right that's it's funny that it's funny that you mentioned that warren because you know, if you follow Bob on social media, you don't see anything about 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 bowling now, I, or you yeah. don't see much about bowling. Yeah. Now, as, as you're saying that, that's 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 jogging a memory of mine that I think I had heard that at one point. Um, that and that's one of those sort of little known facts. Right. right. That uh, um, uh, very much a, a renaissance man. I don't think there's any any correlation between bowling and endurance sports. Just so happens he's he's an athlete. Uh, and it's, and it's, and it's just, it's something that he, he likes to do and he's good at, yeah. um, speaking of, 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 of things that, the, that, that people do, uh, Warren, for the listener who doesn't, uh, know you, why don't you take a moment and, and introduce yourself? Okay. So, uh, I am, I was born and raised in Rhode Island. I've lived here pretty much my whole life other than the four years when I went, I went to UConn. I worked in Massachusetts for a brief while after college, but uh, I ended up getting my, actually I got my dream job pretty much after a year out of college. I knew that I wanted to get into the environmental protection field. I, and I knew that I wanted to be on the government side of things. I wanted to be in a position where I had influence over decisions that were made that weren't, that were more based upon, uh, human health and environmental protection rather than just, uh, you know, uh, financial. I mean, that financial, uh, the financial ability of a company to remediate and clean things, of course, is important, but I wanted to be on the side where I was trying to balance all of those factors that are coming to uh, making those important decisions. So I landed that job a year or two after college, and I've been in that, been in that space ever since. Uh, as much as I like change, it blows my mind that I've been with the same organization for over 30 years. But having said uh, that I'm with the same organization, I've reinvented myself over the course of my career here. I started early on 
doing you know frontline environmental engineering protection work. Uh, and then I was getting a little stale and I was looking for something else. So I went and uh, I got uh, my master's degree, MBA. And that was around the year 2000. And prior to then, this organization, like many at the time, didn't really have a central IT shop. Uh, everything was more siloed. Everybody was just starting to get into, you know, you know, doing things with Excel and access. Uh, but uh, the organization realized at the time the importance of sort of bringing all that into one shop. And uh, I ended up getting that job and I've been in that position ever since. So while I'm no longer in doing the frontline work, I am in a position to support all the scientists and engineers here at the uh, so I work for the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management. So all those people doing this work, obviously, data is hugely important in this uh, in this field. So making sure they have the tools to collect the data, manage the data uh, for our customers. Uh, you know, whether there's somebody who's looking to buy a fishing license, a hunting license, a boat license, or a wetlands permit, um, I am in a position where I'm we're trying to improve the uh, the way our customers can do business with us here at DEM, doing things more online. So, uh, so that's a lot about what I do as far as work. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, I am I'm approaching, a, I'm at a point now where I can, I can retire. So now I am trying to think about what to do next. So that's uh, still up in the air right now. As much as I am passionate about environmental protection, uh, I'm trying to think, I think I'm in a position where I have uh, more to give, and I don't know whether that's working in for an, in a nonprofit space like uh, you know, Nature Conservancy, or uh, I'm not sure what. But I want I want to give more, do more, and give more. So I'm trying to figure out what that's going to be, and I don't really know right now. Hmm. Uh, uh, most importantly, I am the father of two awesome daughters, who are 23 and 25, and as I like to say, they're good people they're just good kind people they're, they're successful and uh, they're happy so nothing makes me happier than to know they're happy they're good kind people and i uh, couldn't be more proud of them uh, i'm married to my wife kim who we got married uh, our sixth year anniversary is this saturday uh and just a fun fact last so when we first got married i said we can get married by a traditional uh, minister, which actually turned out to be a friend of mine. But on our 50th anniversary, we're, Elvis is going to re renew our vows. So last year, we had Elvis renew our vows. <laughs> we were going to go to Vegas and do it. But we said, you know what, let's bring Elvis to us. And uh, we're surrounded by friends. And it was just it was just a blast. So that's just one of the crazy things that, that I enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think I'll leave it there for now. But Chris, there's just one other thing I have to share with folks about how you may, you may, I remember you, I don't recall meeting you in 2011. I was just too a little overwhelmed the whole experience. <laughs> but I remember getting to know you in a show, snowshoe race. I think it was the Snowshoe Nationals in Vermont. It may yep. have been 2014 or something. That's right. And the story is important to me, and I'll get to the reason why. We're like trudging up Prospect Mountain or whatever it was called. And you, you know, you went flying by me to the extent that you can fly by anyone on snowshoes going uphill. And you actually said, you know, said something to me like, 
good work, uh, you know, but you took the time to say something. And a lot of people don't. And you were the only one who did. Uh, and so after the fact, I came, I, I remembered what you were wearing or something. I met up with you in the lodge and I, I thanked you because that is important to me. And that's something that I do. Uh, I ran a race whenever I run a race. If there's someone anywhere near me, I try and bring them along. I'm like, you know what? I don't go into a race expecting to win. I'm like, come on. If I can do it, you can do it. Stay with me. I'm like always trying to like coach people up. Like, uh, and uh, you took the, and you took the time to do that. And that's that's when I I connected with you. And then I think we've our paths have crossed a number of times since then. But that was important to me. They have. Um, uh, well, I don't specifically remember what I said. It sounds like something I would have said. Um, you know, I, I I'm I'm a I'm very much a, a believer in in those competitive circumstances that uh, uh, that a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Meaning, uh, if I can help to elevate you, you at some point may be able to return the favor by pushing yes. me or pulling me. Yes. Um, and so, uh, and 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 I'm, I'm sure by 2014 we knew of each other by then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, like you, you know, I, I would do the same thing with a complete stranger just to pick somebody else up. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, in in helping to pick somebody else up, it helps to lift me up as well because I'm sure that I was suffering just as much as you were in that moment. Um, it, it was probably also a little bit uh, selfish on my part. I was probably encouraging you to kind of get going or hang with me so that we could work together yeah. um, to, to chase down whoever was in front of us. And I'm sure there were a fair number who were in front of us on that day with it, with it being nationals. Well, I, I appreciate yeah. you remembering that story, Warren, because yeah. um, you know, that, that experience, I, I think, you know, helps define who both of us are. And, right. and uh, we, we share a lot in common, particularly that, that, that aspect of it. Um, Warren, I want to, I want to sort of set a theme for the rest of the conversation and I'll pick up on something that, that you had mentioned as you were, as you were doing your, um, uh, your introduction there, you mentioned the word uh, reinvention or reinventing. It seems to me that uh, over the course of your of your life, um, uh, specifically your your athletic life, and but it also clearly applies to your professional life, that that you've um, that you've reinvented yourself a handful of times, um, and and um, th there seems to be uh, seminal moments or experiences that that have been associated with these reinventions, and so um, I. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but but reinvention seems to be somewhat of a theme for you. There's a handful of themes. Adventure is a theme. We're going to talk a little bit more about, but reinvention seems to be a theme. Am I, am I, am I picking up on that correctly? Most definitely. Uh, I embrace change. I like to do things that you know I get out to put me out outside my comfort zone. You know, I, I forget who the quote is. Uh, maybe Eleanor Roosevelt, do something every day that scares you. Uh, it's something like that. So that's one of my mantras. Like if there's something I'm afraid to do, it might just be walking to her into a room of strangers. I'm like, you got It's going to scare. It's, it's scary, but do it. You know, yeah. just do it. Well, your your story and 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 how you've and how you've lived it is certainly an inspiration for me, and I think it's going to be an inspiration for the listener as well. Let's let's go through it. I really feel like it's it, it's an amazing it's an amazing story. 
Um, when you shared your bio with me, you, you, you broke it down into a number of different headings. And I want to pick up on the athletic uh, part of your bio. Um, your first bullet point in your athletic bio was, was the phrase, running saved me. And you actually used an exclamation point at the end mm -hmm. of that sentence. Yeah. Um, Warren, t tell the story of how, in, in your estimation, running saved you at least that first time yeah uh so when i was probably like many others you know middle school can be difficult years and i was uh i was easily influenced and uh subjected to you know peer pressure and i got mixed up with uh the local uh uh you know basically i was a juvenile delinquent i was hanging out with a bad uh element we were getting into all kinds of trouble uh hanging out in the corner uh you know just you know we would you know throwing snowballs at cars that was probably the least of what we were doing uh you know uh i'll i'll mention this because it's funny because we're both bikers i was actually like the neighborhood chop shop my friends would steal bikes, bring them to me. I would strip them down, paint them black. Every neighbor, every bike in the neighborhood that we were riding was black because, you know, we had to cover, you know, I, I you know, years later, I feel terrible about it because some young person lost their bicycle. Uh, you know, so I was, I, you know, many of the people I was with definitely spent time in prison afterwards. Uh, but, and I wanted to get out, but I was afraid to get out of the game of that group people i saw people who tried to get out they were you know just getting subjected to you know verbal and physical abuse uh but uh i i, I just remember being in eighth grade and uh they were they would say the announcements of like the local you know the recent activities and they were talking about oh so and so one uh one uh you know there's local the cross country team won this race and I said, well, maybe I should try out for that team. I was basically looking for some way to use something to do with my time other than go home and immediately hang out with the gang. So I started running uh, because that made me have to go to practice. And by going to practice, that kind of pulled me away from that gang. And as it turned out, those those guys respected me for that. Uh, they were, They were like, you know what? I think that they wish they had that found a similar path out of trouble or some sort of path out of trouble. And we remained, we continued to remain close. And uh, uh, I was in eighth grade. I was, you know, I didn't know what I was, I was kind of fumbling along. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't, I was just trying to, you know, get through the races, but pretty early on in my, you know, by my freshman year, once I got going, I enjoyed some success almost right from the, from the beginning. And then, uh, so the same, uh, my, the local gang, they would actually come to my track meets. They would come to their track meets dressed up with their black leather jackets and they would cheer me on. And I, I like to say I was the only person running around that track with, uh, with a local gang cheering them on. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let, let me ask a, a quick follow-up question. Um, 
so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by that, um, uh, by that, that early path of juvenile delinquency that, that you were on. Um, Warren, tell me, tell me a little bit more about, about your, about your family. Did you, did you come from a, a two parent household? Do, do you have brothers and sisters? What, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. And, and I don't, I don't ask that to suggest that, that as, that as, as youth, that our direction is, 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 is always influenced by our parenting. It's not, you know, absolutely amazing parents can have kids that go astray. So I'm yes. not suggesting that I'm just, I'm just, I'm curious about that aspect of it. Tell me a little bit more about, about your immediate family. Yeah. So I am the youngest of six. Wow. I have five older sisters and we got along amazingly. Uh, the first time I tell people that story, they said, oh, my God, you're the only boy, the youngest of six. You must have been spoiled. And I'm like, no, that did not happen. My sisters tortured me in a good way, in a fun way, because I was different than them. So they would tease me. Uh, uh, and But they were not pampering me. That just did not happen. My mom, of course, because I was the baby and the only boy. But my sisters did not let me get away with that. And, and uh we uh, we had uh, I have fond memories of my childhood with my sisters and we we stuck together. We were, you know, back then you'd be like you would never tell on each other when when we knew families where the siblings would tell on each other. That just did not happen. We had we all had each other's backs. And I definitely got into trouble with my sisters. And there's no, you know, because they were older than me, the drinking age was 18. I'm sure I was, you know, consuming alcohol when I was young too young. It was just, you know, it was just, you know, what we did. And uh, we, we, for the most part, uh, you know, we didn't get into major trouble. We definitely, you know, up to some shenanigans, which I mentioned earlier, but uh, we had a great relationship. Your, uh, your, your, and your, your next oldest sister, um, uh, what, what was, what is the difference in age? So there's, ten, there's six of us, within 10 years. So pretty much every two years. Okay. All right. Yeah, and, um, was there ever a time that one of your sisters pulled you aside and said, Hey, look, you gotta, you gotta knock off this, this funny business or were they, they must've been aware that you were hanging with the wrong crowd. Did any of them ever pull you aside and say, mm -hmm. Hey, you, you, you gotta, you, you gotta quit screwing up. Uh, no, that was just my, you know, Chris, I don't, for whatever reason, I was always, my, my, no one else pushed me other than myself, whether it was academics, athletics, anything. It was always, I was always my, you know, pushing myself to, to try and do the right thing, get on the right path. Uh, my sisters, without getting into, you know, any too much details, they were kind of all over the place as well. So, so uh, they weren't well positioned per se to, to, you know, to correct me uh, and do any path correction on that. So, but to, to follow up on the question you mentioned before, uh, my parents were divorced right around that time in, when I was in middle school. And uh, yeah, so that, you know, that was, I'm sure that play, may have played into uh, maybe subconsciously me, you know, getting involved with the wrong people um you know i'm not sure if that would have changed anything but and that was a big you know that was a big deal back then uh, a lot of parents that was unusual for parents to get divorced uh in you know in the early late 60s early 70s 
And to the, my earlier point where I was saying my sisters didn't spoil me, I remember going to school and not wanting to be different than everybody else. So I would, I would, I would not tell my friends that my parents had been divorced. And uh, without getting into too many details, it was, uh, I, I had to take care of myself. So I had to, uh, you, know, at a, you know, in middle school, I was making my own lunch, putting my own clothes together. And, you know, I'd go to school and my friends would say, your mom making lunch? I'd be like, no, I made my own lunch. I mean, I mean I'd be, yes, my mom made my lunch. I didn't make it because I didn't want to be different. I wanted, you know, because that was, I, I, I wanted to be like everybody else. So I think um, that's one of the things that gave me, I, you know, had a little chip on my shoulder because I was, you know, I was just make sure that I was trying to be successful. And yeah, well, uh, and you, you were, you were also clearly working through some stuff, yeah. um, some pretty heavy stuff at, at a, yeah. at a time in which, um, <laughs> you know, at, at 12, 13, 14 years old, it, it's a hard time for any of us. Yeah. Um, it becomes exponentially more difficult when, um, you know, when, 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 when things get a little bit uh, hectic and chaotic at home and particularly, um, if, you know, if there's some shame associated with what's happening at home and, and hiding yeah. that, uh, you know, from, from friends, that's a, it's a really heavy burden to carry. Um, but, but despite that, uh, Warren, it seems to me that, um, that, 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 that running facilitated, um, an opportunity for you to not only disconnect with that juvenile delinquent path that you were on. And of course we, you know, we know that juvenile delinquency ends up turning into adult delinquency. And yet, except the difference is that uh, delinquent adults end up, you know, committing actual real crimes that, that have significant penalties and consequences, but you were able to disconnect from that path and, and trajectory. Um, running seems like was a, was a mechanism to that end. And not only that um, you were pretty good at it. So much so that I, I think to your earlier point that um, you were able to use running uh, to uh, pursue uh, a higher education uh, at, at, at the University of Connecticut. You ran collegiately, at least early on uh, yeah. in your undergraduate experience. Um, uh, tell, tell me about tell me about th those those early years at UConn and, and what yeah. you were up to athletically. Yep. So just to, to your point, like first running got me on, got me on the straight and narrow and, but it, I had to still do well in school. So, you know, I really focused on my studies in high school and, uh, and then with, with the, with the success of running that just opened up a lot of doors, uh, you know, for, for, for university to go to. And I ended up going to UConn uh, because I was as a junior, I was running with a, a, a senior at the time was Ken Gianquitti, who was a, he was more the half miler miler and I was the two miler uh, and we both ran cross country. But as a as teammates, you know, that was uh, the, the division of labor on the team. So he I, w I went to some uh, college visits with him and one of them was at UConn because uh, one of our coaches had gone there. And then I remember as soon as I stepped on the campus as a junior, I remember loving the campus. I love uh, for my, you know, I love the outdoors and there was, UConn just was a big campus. It wasn't a city campus. I just remember it being beautiful. And 
but you know, I was, I was not, I was not ready to make a decision. It was, you know, still early times for me. And I ended up visiting a lot of other schools over the next year, but UConn just, it just fit. Uh, and uh, the other reason why I was, I chose it, I was, I was more recruited. Uh, you know, I probably would have been more successful running division three, but like I like to say, I wanted to, I like, I went to UConn because they had just joined the Big East and I wanted to get my ass kicked by the best of them. And I did. PC, Georgetown were in, a, in the heyday back then. I want to, I think I recall running in the Carrier Dome in a Big East championship and getting lapped by Jeff Smith in a 5,000 meter race. You know, it's like, but I'm like, that guy went on to win, win the Boston Marathon. I'm like, I was in the same race as that guy. You know what I mean? So, cool. And I love that, you know, uh, for me, it's not all it's yeah, winning's great, but the, to do what you do with the best. So that was re- that the combination of loving the campus and uh, knowing that they were going to, I was having the opportunity to, to run with that level of competition. So that was kind of the deciding factor there. Uh, so the first, uh, and I, I, I loved cross country. Uh, cross country was my favorite sport to compete. I also did indoor outdoor track, but I remember really enjoying the cross country. And we had a, a coach, his, it was coach, uh, coach Kennedy. I don't, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't remember his first name. He's no longer with us, but at the time he was a big guy. He was the weight coach of the track team, but he was also the cross country coach. And he was a character He he knew he was a great coach and he a big guy and he one of my favorite stories well first of all uh for me running whatever i do it has to be a, a fun element to it if it's not fun i'm not going to do it and i run because i enjoy it and when i was training in yukon i would run i might maybe probably should have been running with people who were maybe a little faster but they i was more friendly with the a group who were maybe a little slower, but I was like, on my, so on the runs, I would hang with the guys I want to have fun with. And to this day, I remember we were going up a hill and coach Kennedy used to follow us around in a little Toyota Corolla. And he was a smoker on top of it. So I remember him driving next to me on a hill and he's like taking a puff of his like camels. He's like, takes a big hit and he's like, He's like, lean into an angel, lean into it. He's like yelling at me to basically run faster. Uh, and I was like, this my co- this giant man smoking a cigarette, yelling at me to run up a hill. Just, uh, it just it was precious. I just, uh, I just, I love the man. And I also remember one of my other favorite stories about Coach Kennedy was we we're at the Big East Championship in Franklin Park. And it was, I don't know, October, November. It was, it was a cold morning. And he he told us he's he stuck his finger in we had a big vat of like muscle bomb like whatever ben gay he actually put his fingers in and he would basically eat it just to cool his throat like to help him like to warm him up i mean i'm like the guy was wild i absolutely loved him (laughs) so i just had such a i loved uh the cross country experiences then i got into track uh and i had a different coach uh, and I just, I, I didn't, I, it was my first indoor track experience. We didn't have that in high school and indoor track to me is, it's not that fun. I like being outside. 
but I got through it to get to the uh, outdoor track season. And uh, I got into, into outdoor track and I guess because of the, the way the talent pool was spread out, I was, you know, I picked the short straw and coach said I was going to do the steeplechase. Now, Chris, your view is for this sake, let me tell you, I'm like, I'm maybe five, six. And those steeplechase hurdles were at least up to my waist and they don't fall over like track hurdles. <laughs> so that was my sport. That was my event in outdoor track. Uh, at first I thought it was crazy. Uh, you know, I would literally jump on each one and, and, you know, propel myself forward. And my coach is like, no, you've got to hurdle those things. I'm like, the things are up to my waist. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually came to love it because, uh, you know, I, as like with the snowshoe racing, I, I was like, okay, it was different. It was different. This is me. <laughs> I'm like, so I actually ended up doing, doing okay. <laughs> with it. Um, so I got through, I got through one entire season. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. What yeah, are you no, say? no, I, I, that, that's where I was. That's where I was leading you. I, I, yeah. I was, I was, you know, I'm curious about how difficult it was for you um, after your sophomore season to uh, uh, to have to leave uh, competitive yeah. uh, collegiate running behind as you focused on your, your academics. Was that, I mean, it seems like it would, would, would have been a difficult decision, but in, in maybe, it, maybe it wasn't what tell us, tell us about that, about that decision there after your sophomore year. Yeah, no, it was really hard. Uh, actually having mid season, uh, we we had to go it was it was during finals and we were going to take a bus trip again to Syracuse for the Big East championship and I told the track coach I said listen I can't go it's you know we're approaching finals I need the time to work on my studies I was a chemical engineering uh major uh you know the, the major itself is difficult and it's, uh, you know, I think eight more credits than a typical bachelor's degree. In fact, a lot of schools are either five years and a lot of my friends went four and a half years uh, just to get those extra credits in. Uh, I didn't have, I wasn't in a financial position to elongate uh, that uh, timeline. And I wasn't on scholarship. So I said, you know, I'm not on scholarship. I'm not going to make money in a running career. I need to focus on my studies and work on this degree. Uh, I was, it was, it was difficult because so many of my friends were on the team. Uh, it was just, it's something I had done since eighth grade. Uh, you know, every year I, you know, lace up and get ready for another, another season of running. So it was very difficult, but it was, it was no quite, I have no regrets about it. It was, it was needed to be done. Hmm. Yeah. Did you, um, w w was there any thought at that time um, that that might be the end of your of your running experience. Clearly, it was the end of your collegiate running experience. But um, I mean, did you think to yourself at that time, I'll get back to running uh, once once school settles out and I uh, and I graduate? Or or were you thinking at that time, as much as you can recall, that that was going to be the that was going to be the end of running for you? No, I was thinking that I was looking forward to running in a uh, different format. You know, I think road racing was immensely popular back in those days, you know, to your point about snowshoe racing being a race every weekend back then it was like, it was, it was a road race every weekend, uh, very competitive, you know, in the new England area, there's a great competition. So I thought I would just, you know, once school year ended, I would just uh, delve into those. And I did do that for, I'm not sure how long, at least a couple of years uh, mm -hmm. of doing that. 
you know, that's fine. Um, after after graduating, uh, after school was sort of in, in your rearview mirror from, you know, in your in your 20s and 30s, you you, you focused on uh, on on starting a family, raising a family, uh, focused on your career. In fact, I, mm-hmm. you were I think you were working two jobs, at least yeah. for, for some stretch during that that period of time in your in your 20s and 30s. And as I said, running, running really sort of uh, t- took a took a back seat. Um how how disconnected from running were you, Warren, in, in your in your twenties and thirties? Uh, I would say very disconnected. Uh, I to like I said earlier, for me it, it has to be if I'm going to do it, it has to be fun. Uh, and I just so I started getting in. I started doing something else that felt uh, filled that uh, need. I love competition uh, for whatever it is. Uh, so I started getting, you know, again, I'll remind the, the listeners, I'm only five, six, but I love playing volleyball. I, I say if I was like six foot tall, I would have been a professional beach ball volleyball player. That w- That is my dream. <laughs> so <laughs> I was in at least two or three different volleyball leagues. Uh, I was in a couple of softball leagues. Uh, and I was, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I'm, you know, I was hitting the gym pretty hard. So I was that was filling my need for a while. I didn't miss the running. Uh, I was just doing other things and I was having fun. Mm. Uh, I was having fun doing it. Yeah. And, um, so you, 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 you get to your forties and um, mm-hmm. you begin to experience uh, anxiety attacks as, as you, as you describe them. Um, uh, tell it, tell us a little bit about, um, about how that all came to be. And then, and then I want you to talk a little bit about, um, how that sort of kind of came to a head, um, that, 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 the, the, you know, that, those that mental health issue and, and actually resulted in your hospitalization because I, you know, I, again, I, I said reinvention was a theme here. Um, uh, and, uh, you're, you're going to reinvent yourself again, mm-hmm. actually by returning to a sport that you had loved, uh, you know, 20 years earlier, but, but uh, w- w- walk us through, you know, initially when you began to experience those anxiety attacks, what, 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 do, you, what do you attribute them to? How did you deal with them? Uh, what, 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 would the, what was that like uh, going through those? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the anxiety issue, anxiety came, started around the time that I, one of these times I reinvented myself pre- professionally. I was an engineer, I was doing the engineering work for the first part of my career and then i got into the it world and now i was in a in in my previous career if something needed to be done i could just work harder i had the skill set to just you know if somebody handed me a report i could you know i could look it over i could you know edit it i could do i i could whatever it was i had the skill set to do it now being in charge of an it shop where there's software development, network support, there's all these, there's all these responsibilities. I don't have the skill set. I'm a manager, but I don't have the skill set for any of those. So if the email server went down, I can't fix it. If a, a program crashed, I can't fix it. I needed other people to do it. And that was creating so much stress because we were just starting this uh, IT uh, office and there was so much responsibility and so much that we were trying to get done, uh, bringing in these big systems, 
with limited resources and it was it was just it was weighing on me i was in that so that's what led to the uh to these anxiety issues so i uh the first time i had an anxiety issue i i went i, I didn't know what i was experiencing honestly it was it was scary i thought i was going to have a heart attack i thought i was experiencing some sort of a heart condition and i went to the treatment center and they said no everything's fine uh you you know you know just it's okay it was just an anxiety attack you know i don't remember the specifics of that first visit i remember uh, i don't know how much you know it's going back a ways i don't know the time between these episodes i had a second episode you know i don't know how much longer after the first where it was so severe uh, my wife called a rescue and they took me to a hospital uh you know they measured all my vitals they you know everything was fine uh from a physical standpoint uh and uh you know again it's still scary times uh you know this is not uh, and during this time chris it's not uh, you know it's not something i shared uh, much of but i would be at work and i would leave work and go have a beer which was scary i don't like to drink because i have to drink i enjoy drinking but if you're going somewhere because you have to that's bad uh and that was scary and uh, i was like this uh I, but i i didn't know how else, i didn't know what else to do i was just like i had to leave i had to leave the, the space that was causing me anxiety and then it ha I, uh, you know sometime later not much time not too much longer i think I, I had another episode and i went to the treatment center and i had a doctor and i wish i could cross paths with him again because he was the one who he i, I don't he was much more holistic it was less about medicine and it was more about he said warren you need to do something to burn off excess your excess energy he said you need to like just at lunchtime or whenever whenever you're not feeling right or at least on some regular basis go for a walk just burn off some energy just go for a walk and uh, that was the best advice i ever got because that walking got me back into running when i was i don't know 42 43 and i never had another anxiety attack and i have not stopped while well, i've been in and out of running i have done some sort of physical exercise but running has been a common denominator certainly ever since then uh but that's again when i say running saved me it saved me at least twice mm. you know that um that advice that you got from that physician about about going for a walk reminds me of the expression <clears throat> which is uh, which is one that's used in in, um, in in psychology particularly as it relates to these issues <clears throat> move a muscle change a thought mm -hmm. which is sort of what what your doctor was asking you to do when you yeah. when you felt yourself beginning to spiral out of control and feeling a loss of control um, and, and, and all of the physical manifestations that panic attacks or anxiety attacks have that, that what he wanted you to do is to move a muscle, right? To, to change a thought, to change yeah. the way, to change your perspective yeah. in that, in that moment. Sometimes it's literally about moving to a different space. Yeah. Yeah. Literally it's about getting out of the office and going outside to walk around the yeah. parking lot, just creating some physical distance from the space in which you are experiencing the episode. 
oftentimes can uh, can can be that uh, that impetus that that breaks that spiral. Now, I'm I'm clearly no expert in this, um, but um, as I'm sure that you can appreciate, um, you know this very common mental health issue is experienced by a lot of people, including, um, you know, otherwise very fit, very together mm -hmm. professionally, yeah. Uh, yeah. personally, uh, athletes, but yeah. who oftentimes deal with these things in, in silence and in, and in solitude. Um, did, did, did you sort of deal with this on your own? Did you ever, Aside yeah. from your wife at the time, did you did you share what you were feeling with coworkers or? No, just my wife. I didn't share with any of my coworkers. I, I don't think I wanted them to know. In fact, I'm sure I didn't want them to know because uh, this gets back. You know, I wanted I didn't want anyone to see any you know cracks in the foundation. I wanted them to think I was a you know strong, fit leader. You know, had my act together. And uh, you know, fast forward to this today. Today, I would easily. Now that I'm, you know, older and wiser and more confident, I would easily share that. You know, if I was having issues now, it would I would have no problem going to my workmates and saying, "Hey, I'm struggling." You know, uh, you know, uh, can we, let's talk through this. You yeah, know? and and shoe on the other foot type thing. Um, there's a very good likelihood in all the years that you've worked professionally, particularly managing people, that you've had employees that you've had. Uh, people that have worked for you that likely were experiencing something very, very similar, and whether they and whether they did or didn't share it with you, I wonder um, if for you, having had the perspective of, of having gone through it, if you wouldn't now appreciate if you had an employee or if you had someone who you were supervising who was experiencing that, um, that you would appreciate them sharing their experience with you. Um, uh, as a colleague, as a coworker, as difficult as it is to share some of those personal things that we struggle with. Yeah. Um, I mean, is, 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 is that true? Would you, would, would you want someone who you manage to share what, if they're experiencing that sort of thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, I actually, I found it helpful. Look, so to just expand on that over the years, uh, when people, I, when I've become more willing to share these stories, people have said, have wanted me to talk to people they know who've been through this, and I've happily do so, because it it's almost it's a it, to know that other people are going through it, people who in particular people you may have some connection to. So I've talked to a number of people uh, in, in later years and sharing that story. In fact, it happened last week. I had a friend of mine who I've known since high school uh, and we talk almost every day and uh, he was sharing his, uh, he was dealing with some issues and he felt like he's like, I feel like I'm going to crawl out of my skin. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm just uh, all having all these issues and all the anxiety issues. I, I told him I'm not going to share his name, but I said, uh, I went through this. I've been there. I know exactly what you're feeling. And he, you could almost just feel him calming down, knowing that it's okay. You know, uh, I know someone who's been, you, you know, someone he knew went through it. I got through it. It's normal. It, you can deal with it. And uh, it just uh, made me, it made me feel good to be able to help him. Yeah. There's so often there's comfort in knowing that you are not alone. 
that, yeah. that there are other people that have uh, been through a, a similar circumstance um, and in, in whatever means and, and method have been able to work through it. Um, there, you know, there, there is comfort in knowing that, um, um, that, that there is possibility to, to work, to work through it, to work with it, um, to manage it. I, I really feel like though, uh, you know, an important first step with these things is, um, you know, is, is acknowledging that there's yeah. something going on and then, and then working to seek help. Um, from from professionals and, and, and people who are who are skilled and, and trained in this. Well, again, you know, running as a as a mechanism, as a running as a means to uh, to, to save your life at, at the very least, help to sort of redirect the trajectory of your life in, in both 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 that very early time as an adolescent and then and then in a later a, a, as an adult as a as a very successful adult at that point, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think you probably know, Chris, from running is not only a great physical outlet, but it's a great like mental and spiritual outlet too. So to have that time, you know, whether, you know, particularly if you're alone, just to process information is just uh, the, the combination of all the benefits uh, really just kind of helped me get healthy, uh, yeah. help me get well. Yeah. Overall, well, and I, I think um, I, I completely agree uh, with with that as it relates to running. And I, I think that applies to, um, to to nearly every form of exercise. Hmm. I do think, though, there's something particularly special about um, about exercising in nature, trail yes. running, mountain mm -hmm. running, mountain biking, gravel riding. Um, there is something about um, about reconnecting spiritually with nature that um that that for many folks is something that is missing in their lives as we uh as we retreat to the concrete jungle right as we as we spend you know eight ten hours a day in our little concrete cubicles and and slowly we lose connection to the natural world i think that has a very significant impact on our uh, on our on our mental well-being um, I, I do know that, that for me personally, that, um, you know, even something as simple as just, you know, going for a, a 30 minute mountain bike ride with my dogs and our little local trail network, it's mm -hmm. not, I mean, we, we're literally not into the, into the deep wilderness, but we are, you know, we are off yeah. the road and we are, uh, we are in a sense, we are connected with nature. Uh, right. I mean, <laughs> feeling the splash of a muddy puddle yeah. uh, or um, smelling a, a conifer a pine forest. Um, it, it's, it's, it, these are experiences that we just don't get mm -hmm. well, clearly when, when, when we're, when we're confined to, uh, you know, to, to, to four concrete walls and, and even to a, a larger degree is something we don't experience when we're exercising either indoors or exercising, uh, you know, uh, in, in the urban jungle yes. on pavement. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah. and I, I want to pick up a little bit more on that because I know that, that nature and, and, and adventure you have said, uh, influences your, your athletic activities and, yeah. and your athletic choices. Uh, and that's something that's always inspired me about you, uh, Warren is your, uh, well, first of all, is your your willingness to try new things, 
um, and the incredible diversity of your athletic interest. Uh, I mean, I, I pride myself on, on being diverse athletically, having done a lot of things uh, and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and raced a lot of different sports. But I think I've met my match uh, <laughs> when, as it relates to you, because I, I'm not sure that there's anybody that I've ever met um, who, who embraces trying new things like you do. Now, it's one thing. It's one thing to try new things when you're younger, right, in your teens and 20s. But it's an entirely different thing, Warren, to try new things when you get to be our age. Now, you're you're a contemporary of mine. You're a few <laughs> years older than, than me, but not not by many. And so I can fully appreciate um, how uh, how incredibly challenging it can be to to start anew, to be a beginner again at something. You and I both know, Warren, that um, that there are a lot of people that pride themselves on being experts in a mm -hmm. particular thing. I mean, let's, let's stick in the athletic arena yeah. for a moment. Right. right? And that, um, people pride themselves on being good at something. I mean, it feels good to be good at something. There's comfort in being good at something. There's also some measure of being feeling stale and feeling unfulfilled for some people. Right. When all they do is just that one thing that they do that they've been doing for decades. Right. Um, and I, I, I recently had this discussion with a client of mine as we were talking about uh, something that I referred to as the beginner mindset. When we're first starting out with something new, and again, let's let's use an athletic endeavor. Uh, let's say toboggan racing. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna talk more about toboggan racing in a moment. But let's let's say, for instance, that uh, you know you're you're in your fifties and you decide I want to start I want to I want to get into toboggan racing because mm -hmm. it's well because it's different. Yeah, about that before, yeah. uh, and it seems exciting and new, and so. Um, you, you begin to, you begin to investigate it. You begin to dabble in it. You try it for the first time. And that first time you try it, there's excitement and joy and there's wonder and there's learning. There's all of these things as a beginner that makes this new thing really interesting and really exciting. Yeah. Now it's hard because you're not very good at it, right. um, but rather than get hung up on performance, in other words, how good am I at yeah. this? It's all about learning. It's all about absorbing information, about taking it all in. And there's something, again, there's something really, really interesting, really exciting about the beginner yes. mindset that, that, that helps us to form a really deep connection to it. Yes. Something, by the way, that we, that we lose when we become experienced in something. And that one thing, I think, that, that prevailing one thing is learning. We stop learning, right? Once you become an expert in something, once you become really good at something, you stop learning. And I think when you stop learning is, is when your feelings of fulfillment begin to dull. And it's hard to understand why, because you're really good at this thing because you've been doing it for a while, but there's something missing. It doesn't just doesn't feel as fulfilling. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a paradox, right? Because right. Because you're really good at it. People look at you as being an expert at it, 
and yet you feel kind of empty and hollow with it, which again is exactly the opposite of the way you feel when you try something new. 100%. And again, you more than anybody I've ever met <laughs> seems to embrace that beginner mindset. Warren, does that resonate with you when I describe the beginner mindset when you when you start dabbling in all these new and different things? 100%. And there are a couple of things uh, that you, you just made me think of. One is, first of all, uh, I'm not afraid. You, you, you can't be afraid to fail. when you're Because when you're a beginner, you're going to fail. I have no problem failing. Uh, so I am very comfortable with that. I don't, I don't, my ego doesn't need to uh, be the best at everything that I do. That's just not, that's not who I am. So I, I, that's why I embraced uh, these, uh, these uh, new, new endeavors. And just to follow on what you were saying about the ex, uh, someone being an expert, sadly, I know people who continue to run and I don't think they enjoy it, but it's who they are. And I feel bad for them. Uh, I'm like, you need to do something else. Pickleball doesn't have to be, you know, some aerobic, do something else. So about the time I was, when I, when I turned, I don't want to get ahead of, uh, anything, but, uh, when I turned 50, my wife said to me, uh, Warren, you need to learn how to swim. That's one of those life skills that you just need to know how to swim. And the reason, one of the reasons being is I actually have a lake house. So I, I, am, I love playing in the ocean. I have a lake house. I had two daughters, you know, at any point, somebody might need help. And I don't know how to swim. I'm the youngest of six. As I mentioned earlier, we grew up on a lake. All five of my sisters could swim. My dad could swim. I never learned to swim. I was afraid of the ocean. This is, gets back to being spoiled by my mother. I like to say that my mom didn't want her baby boy to go in the water. So she just kept me on the shore with her and pampered me. And not, of course, not only did I not know how to swim, I was afraid to be over my head. Uh, I, I could go in a pool, but it's only because I knew I could get to the side if I got into trouble. So my wife, Kim said, you, you need, this is something you need to learn how to do. So she encouraged me to take lessons. And I remember the first time in the pool, I couldn't make it a lap and I was gassed and I was fit. I was in good shape and I could not make it a one length of the pool. I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I was, I didn't know what I was doing. So, uh, but I kept with it. I continued lessons. I kept, you know, trying to learn. I, I never became a great swimmer. I, 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 I like to say, I, I could swim forever, but I could not swim fast, but, I learned how to swim and at the same, so just as part of this story at about the same time. Uh, so up until this point, I was just a runner. I didn't, I really wasn't doing much else. You know, my volleyball career never really taking off as I had hoped I had to, you know, <laughs> I didn't sprout another six inches in my thirties. So I stuck with the running, uh, you know, I was having, enjoying it, but, and I think it was like, 2014 or something. I forget when it was. The cyclocross nationals were in Providence, Rhode Island. 2013. I, 2013. 2013. I, I okay. Believe. Right. And so that's my backyard. I'm like, I'm gonna go check out what's going on. And I go, and it's wild. You're it's, you're just you're there as a spectator. Spectator. Okay. And I have never. I don't even know. I've never even heard of such a thing. 
and then these crazy people biking, jumping over, uh, you know, obstacles, carrying their bike up hills, going through by the beer tent, getting heckled by the spectators. Did I mention there was a beer tent? Uh, so, and it's a, and it's a, it's a loop track. So it's very spectator friendly. I'm like, what is this? And how have I never heard about this before? I literally went out and bought a bike like the next week. And I, cause I, I, I was a, you know, I was big into biking when I was young, just like, you know, just like, you know, my, my little, you know, neighborhood bike, not like really like, a, you know, a road bike of you know any sense. So I went out and bought a bike and, uh, I started like, you know, I, I wanted to get into cyclocross and I was terrible as was to be expected. Uh, I would come in, you know, my goal was not to get lapped, but right. I was having so much fun because it was, again, my kind of crazy. I'm like, it was just, you know, it was all the things I just said, you know, running with your bike, going over obstacles, people yelling at you. Uh, it was just, it was uh, so much fun. I was like, I remember at, in one race, I went by the, you know, you go by the, the, the lap counter or this timer, every lap. And they said, she, the woman said to me, why are you smiling? Cause you know, I'm, I said, cause I'm having fun. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and then, uh, so, uh, getting back to swimming. So now I'm learning to swim now I'm biking. And now, so my wife, Kim, uh, she was, you know, she was into triathlons, you know, more like, I think she had some, some maybe worked away to some halves and stuff, half Ironman. So she, now she's trying to like, get me, you know, get me thinking about that. And I'm like, yeah, no way is that going to happen. But, uh, I eventually did. Uh, I remember doing my first triathlon. It was a small, it was a, a sprint at best, but you had to swim out to a boot. It was in Connecticut. It was like this Wednesday night, small town triathlon maybe 100 people you have to swim out to a buoy and back and uh i i i so all the men went first i said all right kim i'm gonna go i'm gonna go in the second wave with the women um you know i just i want to go my own pace i don't want to get run over and she's gonna stay with me i was struggling i could not make it to that first buoy so there was a paddle border i was i would hold on to the paddle border to kind of kind of get my you know feel better about myself and then i would go again and then you know finally we we turn around and on the way back now i'm starting to feel better because now i'm on the way back and now i'm getting to the beach i get out of the beach and i'm like woohoo you know i didn't drown i'm like this is great so now and everyone's cheering me on like uh, you know, that I'm like, you know, that I, that I survived basically. So <laughs> my wife said, okay, Warren, you can bike and run faster than me, but guess what? You're staying with me. I stayed with you in the swim. So you are, you are staying with me totally now. Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, so it was like a 12 mile bike and then a, a, a 5k. And of course, when the 5k comes, you know, that's like, that's my strong And She's like, you are going nowhere. We are running this thing. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first, uh, triathlon experience. And then I just, I uh, got more confident in the water and uh, that fall uh, I did a local uh, half iron uh, and it was in, it was in the ocean and the the waves were wild. I'm pretty sure they probably shouldn't even have had the event, but I got through the swim and uh, I'm definitely last one, one of the last ones out of the water. And I always like to say, if anyone's done, who's done a triathlon, Finding your bike after the swim can be a little, a uh, little difficult. But for me, 
being one of the last ones out of the water, I was always able to find my bike right away because there weren't many there. <laughs> but so now I'm biking and I had my, my wife being ahead of me, we passed each other. And again, I'm smiling. And she's like, I'm like, I'm smiling because I didn't drown. I'm like, I am like so happy to be on land. Uh, so I was just, it was, I, I enjoyed the experience. And then the next year I went on to do a, a full Ironman. So, you know, you know what that is. That's a 2.4 mile swim. And uh, I, like I said, I was slow, but uh, I got it done. And I, I was in Mount Chamblant and I got through the swim. I got through the, the you know, it was a 112 mile bike. I got through that. I remember it was raining. It was, uh, it was, it was, but uh, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and the run, I remember finishing the run. And it's probably the strongest adrenaline rush I've ever got in all my competitive years. So much so that I did it again the next year and then a couple of years later because it was such a rush. There was nothing else like it. And I wanted to experience it again. And I knew what the path was going to be to do it again. I knew there were going to be, you know, six hours of biking on Saturdays, I, you know, you know, Chris, it was like a part-time job. It I was really training is. 18, 20 hours a week. And that's not even counting driving to the pool and driving home and all that right. stuff. I, today, I don't know how I have, I'm looking back. I don't know how I squoze that into my, my life, but uh, it's just an incredible, in, incredible, and you know, incredible rush. But, and I, you know, I was like, you know, whatever, middle of the pack, you know, maybe slightly more in the middle of the pack in my age group, but that didn't matter. I didn't care. It was just like an unbelievable experience. Well, the fact that you went from in a very short period of time, a year or so, you went from not knowing how to swim, being afraid of being over your head in open water to finishing three Ironman distance triathlons. Is, is one of the most remarkable stories I think I have ever heard. Um, but it's also, again, it it's also who you are. And so, you know, I suspect that for people who know you, your, 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 your close inner circle, none of that was surprising. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. remarkable, yeah. but not surprising yeah. because of, because of who you are and your, and your willingness to learn and your love of learning. Cause I, I do think Warren, that there's a big component of oh, yeah. this. Um, that is it, that is, that, that is just your innate love of learning. I mean, it, it happened, it happened to you professionally. Yes. It, it clearly, it clearly what yeah. I told you at some point, I yeah. told you, I told you at some point my dogs would bark, right? Yeah. So, that, so there they go. Yeah. I do have, I, I definitely had peers who I think, who said, why are you doing this? You're, you're, you can be so successful at running. Why are you doing this? But I was not happy. Uh, you know, the, you, I measured success differently. And for me, happiness is part of my definition of being successful. And I was like, yeah, all right. I can keep running road races and doing the same thing over and over again. But I want to do. I want to push myself. I want to learn new things. 100% uh, being a beginner. I, you know, not being afraid to fail. I I just embrace that. It's just exciting. You know. Mm. I also during that time, uh, you know, I started to get into ultras, 
because that was another way to, to test my physical my physical limits uh you know so that was just part of that whole you know doing different new and different things and i particularly like the ultras because to your earlier point it was in the trails and again back to that same with cyclocross and snowshoe racing total different uh level of camaraderie my that my I did the, my 150 miler was the Vermont 50 and uh, it was in late September. I think it's coming up again. Yeah, sure. And uh, it was a it was a record high temperature in Vermont. So I was in I was fit. I was in good shape. I was fueling at every aid station. There's a ton of aid stations. Uh, and then at, at, I forget maybe mile 40 or something. The one thing I was not doing was taking in the this is being a beginner. I was not taking enough electrolytes. All of a sudden I was lying, my cramp, both my calves cramped up. I was lying in the fetal position on the side of the trail with like 10 miles to go. And I, I was stuck and people came by, gave me salt, took care of me. You know, if that was a road race, they would run over me, you know, but it was a totally different, uh, it was amazing. So I recovered. And I finished and, but had it not been for the kindness of people in the event, I would have never done it, you know, mm -hmm. whatever happened. And, uh, uh, it, it just, so I went on, I never did another 50 miler. I did some 50 Ks, same one. It's just that Vermont 50 is just a, a great event uh, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, I just enjoy going back. Uh, but I, again, just being in the trails, being outside. It's, uh, I love, I, I love that. I loved it. I did enjoy that. Um, I think it was 2014 or 2015. You and I bumped into each other at a cyclocross race. It was either, or it was either orchard cross, uh, or it was, or it was uh, pumpkin cross, uh, in Keene. I, I think it was orchard cross, uh, the, the big cyclocross race in Southern New Hampshire. Um, we, we bumped into each other and, uh, you reminded me of this, that, um, uh, somewhere along our conversation, I referred to you, uh, uh, with a tremendous amount of admiration and respect as the, as the Swiss army knife of That's endurance right. athletes. Yeah. And, and what I was trying to get at was that, um, uh, at, at that time, and, and it continues to today, uh, how much you inspire me with just the diversity of, of, of things that you do. Now, that, again, that was 2014, 2015, right. that would, you would actually take that to an entirely new level in 2018, 2018, in which, uh, you had coined the year of nationals. Right. Uh, and I remember following along on social media during this year, uh, the, the, the 2018, this was, this was pre pandemic, like just before the world yeah. uh, kind of came to a grinding halt uh, and right upon reflection, what great timing, because had you waited uh, to yeah. do this a, a year later or two years later, it wouldn't have happened. But in 2018, what you what you coined the year of nationals, you competed in 10 to 12 national or world championships. Yes. Across, I suspect, 10 to 12 different <laughs> sports Warren uh you know it was it was a couple of years ago now but um do you remember do you remember any of those sports or, or what what those sports were oh yeah so one of them was uh the postal swim 
where you swim as far, how, you, how far you can swim in an hour in a pool. Then I did the toboggan nationals. I did the snowshoe nationals. I did uh, the mountain nationals at Loon Mountain that year. I did two triathlon nationals in the same weekend. I did a sprint and an Olympic, and it was in uh, uh, Ohio. And just a a funny story here because this gets back to well, I'll circle back on that. So those two, so the second day the weather was so the the conditions were so bad they turned it into a duathlon. So it was actually a triathlon and a duathlon. Uh, One of my one of my fate. Well, before I get to that, I did a cross country race in Buffalo. It was a five. I think it was only five k. It was a masters championship that was, I think they called it a pan. Either way, it was Canadian U.S. So that was kind of an international event. And I remember my wife saying, "You're going to drive eight hours to Buffalo to run a five k." I said, "Of course I am. It's the year of the nationals, and that's doable. I'm going <laughs> to run like twenty minutes." <laughs> But my favorite event probably was the day, you know, we might circle back this. We did this crazy event, this race called Medelac in New Hampshire. I left that, which was in way northern New Hampshire. I left that that place on Sunday morning and drove to Atatash and then did the world national, I mean, the world downhill tricycle championships. You're basically in an oversized tricycle at the top of this of a you know a ski trail. They drop the chute and you're going down the mountain with three other people trying not to run each other over and not to crash and burn. Uh, it was and I'm sad because I don't think they have it anymore. It was <laughs> so fun. <laughs> I it's funny because I now that now that you're now that you're telling the story, I re, I remember that we were at Metalac, this um, uh, the, the the race that was near and dear uh, to both of our hearts. I think Metalac um, mm-hmm. was this uh, multi-sport endurance challenge in the great North Woods of New Hampshire. Um, uh, very good friend uh, Bridget Frudenberger uh, was, was the race director. She that race was was actually a reincarnation. Um, of the North Country Endurance Challenge, uh, an event that had been created and hosted by uh, Chad Denning, who, who sadly uh, would eventually pass away. Uh, Bridget reanimated the race. She's from that area. Uh, so gravel riding and kayaking and, and uh, um, uh, trail running, trekking, mountaineering, a, a great event. But I, And that the race was on Saturday. Because it was so far north, even for those of us that live in New Hampshire, at the great north woods of New Hampshire, yeah. Colebrook area, Pittsburgh area of New Hampshire. I mean, it is, I mean, it, you're, you're literally, you're a stone's throw from Canada. That's how far north it is. Yeah. Even for us that live in New Hampshire, it's a long way. Yeah. So nobody, and, and the race was, the race was eight, 10 hours. And so by the time you finished, it was just easy to camp out and you'd camp yeah. out that Saturday night after the race. And then Sunday morning, you'd get up. And uh, put your stuff together and then go home. Well, I remember talking to you at some point during that weekend, uh, and uh, you mentioned to me that you were you were getting up extra early Sunday morning after this ten to twelve hour multi sport <laughs> endurance uh, challenge, uh, and you were going to Atatash for 
uh, and again, you started to describe it, and I must have I must have looked at you like you had two heads, um, because it was like, what are you actually saying? Um, because none of that made sense. I, I I had not heard of any of this, and I think I was actually most struck by the fact that you found this event. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it wasn't so much that you were doing it, which was remarkable. Yeah. What was equally remarkable for me was how the heck you even found this event. <laughs> I have no idea. Honestly, I don't remember how I found it. I was just searching for anything local that had the word national or world or international on it. And somehow that came up. And these crazy people from uh, whatever that restaurant is nearby at Atatash, uh, we were putting it on every year. I'm like, yeah, uh, sign me up for this. <clears throat> um. <laughs> so... Uh, one of the one of the things it's a tangential story to the the Medelac thing, but it's uh, near and dear to my heart. So Medelac would have been this coming weekend. It was always this. I, I remember because it was, I, you know, my wife and I got married uh, six years ago, and it was this that weekend. So two years in a row we did Medelac on our anniversary weekend. So. She's a special, she's a special bride. That one. She, she, she's a <laughs> so keeper. Special. Yeah. She's a keeper, Warren. Yes. To put up with your, yeah. to put up with your, your exploits and adventurous spirit. Yeah. Uh, although I think secretly she seems to enjoy it. Oh yeah. Um, be, 100%. Right? Because, because yeah. she, you know, I, I mean, she went to Metalac and she raced Metalac. Well, she was there. She was oh, yeah. in it. And Chris, she did all three of those Ironman with me. Uh, so I was not doing this alone and we, we trained uh, together. So in that first metal act, the first year we did it, there was a final uh, aid station where, where there was a couple of lovely people working before you went to the most grueling. I'm not even going to call it a run because it was a trek. You had to climb. Uh, you probably recall this. It yeah, was it yeah. was unrunnable. You had to, yeah, it was up, hand up, over. Up, yeah, yeah, up to table up to table rock. You yeah. went up the trail yeah. and I'm I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting the name, the name of that trail, but it's actually on the, it's like the, the, the New Hampshire scary 40 or something. It's cause it's one of the yeah. scariest trails uh, yeah. in New Hampshire, because literally uh, you, you have to, you have to hold on to trees yeah. to pull yourself up this. Right. It it's wild. a wall. It was a, it was a wall. So I do it. Uh, and then uh, I, I, the people at the aid station, I said, uh, uh, so I, I, I said to them, when my wife, if you see my wife come by and I described her, I said, tell her I love her. Uh, Cause this is our anniversary. And she, like, oh, I know what happened. I had already done it. Yes. Uh, and I was going back to try and find her. Cause I knew that I was going to, I was like, I can't let her do this alone because it's, it's scary. Uh, it was getting dark now. I'm like, I need to do this with her. So I actually did it a second time. But I met these people. I'm like, my wife is going to kill me. Uh, it's our anniversary. So this is one of my, one of the, you know, we talked about this earlier, but it's all about, it's so much about the, the people you meet along your journey. And at that moment, I met these two people who I had, who were retired from the EPA, who I used to work with 30 years ago. Amazing. And I'm like, and it was uh, the Smiths. Nancy and uh, I forget the gentleman's name. And I'm like, oh my, so in this very qu quick interaction, we 
we, we connect the dots. Cause I think I, I think there was, they said, don't throw down your cup, uh, you know, throw it in the bin. And I'm like, I work for the department of environmental management. I'm not going to litter, whatever. We had this short banter and we immediately connected the dots. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe. And they retired up there. And you see what you described earlier. They were almost in Canada. They're like way out there. <laughs> so now, you know, the race is over and my, my wife and I were like, you know what? We just did a grueling 10 hour, whatever it was. Let's go out and have a nice dinner. Well, there's not many options for nice dinners in Cole. I think there's one. We go to the restaurant and who's sitting there but the Smiths. So I, we say hello. We, some, some, we have some, uh, you know, some, we just chat, have some laughs. Kim and I go and have our dinner. We go to pay. They picked up the tab. Happy anniversary. And we, we skimped on nothing. Had we known that was going to happen, we wouldn't have gotten that <laughs> bottle of wine. Gracious. Chris, that is one of my favorite memories. It's very cool. How cool is that? It's very cool. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. That was just mm -hmm. like, you know, the, when I think back to that event, that's one of the things I remember. You know, I, of course, you know, you're going to remember the grueling event. But uh, it was just I, I just those, I, those are the stories that the people you meet along the way, like you, and, you know, meeting you. That's this is a, this is what. This is what's important, not whether you came in first or whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's that, that experience, you know, is, um, it sort of drives home the point that, um, the, the fact that the Smiths were there is really not a coincidence. They were, they, they were meant yeah. to be there. They were, you were meant, you and Kim were meant to cross paths yeah. with them. But the only reason that it happened is because of who you are, is because you sort of went out of your way to 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 do some light banter with a couple of aid station workers who, you know, and 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 and, and both of our experiences as endurance athletes over the last many decades, how often have we how often have we seen, witnessed, experienced volunteers mm -hmm. and yeah not said anything to them. Right. I mean, I, it's rare for me. I always would thank right. volunteers. I suspect you are the same way yeah. too, but the fact that you just struck up this light conversation that you, yeah. that you had the conversation at all. Yeah. Is, is, was the connection, right. was the reason that they were there. Yeah. It was meant to be that way. Right. And right. It, it's only because of who you are that the rest of the story played out the way that it played yeah. out. Right. Right. Otherwise, you know, nine out of 10 people would have just would have largely ignored the volunteers may have said something, you know, pleasant, yeah. but, but not done what you did. And it was because of who you are, right. That these things happen. I like, I, I don't think it's a coincidence, Warren. I, yeah. I think, I think it was all, it was all meant to be. Yeah. Well, um, 2000, 2018 turns into 2019 and 2020, and you begin to experience some, some knee and, and, and back issues. And, uh, I mean, as you say, coincidentally, um, and, and again, maybe, maybe as a blessing, uh, COVID shuts everything down and there's just not a lot of racing to be had. Right. Um, and, uh, but you're dealing with some physical stuff, some knee and some, and some back issues, um, that's, that's either making running, uh, really uncomfortable or it's making running darn near impossible. So, um, uh, so once again, running, you begin to focus on some other things, some things that you can do and you're, and you get into, 
gravel riding and, and mountain biking, these activities don't aggravate your knee and back the way, mm -hmm. the way running does. Um, um, but there's, you know, running is still part of mm -hmm. kind of who you are. I mean, it's not all that you are, but it's, but, but you, you certainly can't ignore that, that running has taken you places and, and allowed you to meet important people in your life. And, and, uh, somewhere either subconsciously or consciously, you're not ready to completely give up on the idea of running. I mean, you're, um, you know, you're, you're in your very late fifties. Uh, you're still young, you're clearly fit, uh, and, and you have the desire, but you're, but you're really, you're, you're struggling with this, these, the knee and the back issue. And it sounds like you're not really getting a whole lot of answers from the, the, yeah. the orthopedic sports medicine world. Right. Um, nothing has really sort of worked for you um, until uh, you uh, you you get connected uh, with a with a with a with a medical practitioner who suggests you tell the rest of the story. Yep. So, uh, well, as part of that story, I did actually have surgery on my knee for a torn meniscus a few years ago because that was something that. Uh, was absolutely need to be done. Uh, and I have no further issues with that, but my back was still ailing me. Running was not, I was not enjoying running because every time I went, I ran, I was, it was, it was uncomfortable and that's not fun. Like, you know, like if it's, it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. So I saw actually two physicians, different physicians who both said, it's not a surgery situation. Uh, you should try yoga. I'm like, and at first I dismissed it. I'm like, you know, I, I tried that a long time. I, I used to, you know, I tried yoga, you know, 20 years ago. And it's, you know, it's, I just, I'm not sure how I'm going to fit that into my life. But, you know, starting in January, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. I started, I, I do hot yoga twice a week. And right away I start noticing uh, less discomfort in my back. Um, uh, starting to, my runs are starting to feel, uh, a little better, a little less, uh, a little less uncomfortable. So I'm like, uh, you know, so Chris is, is part of this story. So now I turned 60 in May and I'm thinking running is that itch that I want to scratch one more time while I still have the ability to do it. So now I'm going to invest more time and energy into doing what I need to correct the situation and to be able to enjoy it. Who knows? This might be my last hurrah. Hopefully not, but I want, I want to get back into it. And uh, so the running is working uh, amazing. I'm still having some very low grade pain. So I, I, I see a surgeon because now I'm like, well, my, the thing is, I'm feeling better, but am I doing long-term damage? So that's not something that I was able to get from the other doctor. So I see a surgeon and he's like, well, you have some arthritis in your back, not to be uh, unexpected at your age and all you've been doing, but it's not, but it's not terrible. He's like, honestly, it's, it's not bad considering, uh, all, you know, I've, you know, all that you've been doing and, uh, you can, you know, this again, this is not a surgical situation, but you might benefit from having a, a shot, a cortisone shot. So I did that just to kind of decrease what uh, residual pain I had. And uh, I've been, uh, I can run, I pretty much, and I'm trying to be smart. I run 
trying to stay for like four days a week, no more than 30 miles. Uh, and, uh, I'm having a great time again. I so the thing that I really get want to get into now this 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 season I'm trying to focus on cross country. As I mentioned earlier, cross country was my favorite sport, and it's one of my favorite sports because it's one of the few running sports where it's so team centric, and I I love being part of a team. So I end up now I'm running. I just joined the Central Mass Striders because they have a 50. 60 plus team and uh i love that camaraderie i love that team vibe and so i've only done one race so far and i'm going to do probably four or five more this fall it's very it's very very cool and um, i have one more funny story i'm yeah. i'm saying funny and i don't usually if my wife listens to this she's going to crack up because i don't i don't uh i don't talk about what i do i just my daughters don't even know like if the success, you know, what I do <clears throat> this past weekend uh, and there's a, a race. It's a pretty well-known race in Rhode Island. It's called, it's the run around block Island. It's a 15 K and it's a nasty race. It's hilly. It's always at one thirty because the, the logistics of getting people there on, on a ferry and before and after the race. So it's the middle of the day. It's freaking hot. Uh, it was humid. So I was out there for the week. So I'm going to do this race, you know, it's the last day and the next to last day I'm there. So the race goes off and I'm like, I'm in fifth place. I got some guy with a baby jogger behind me. I'm like, and then he's, then he's out in front of me. He's like in, he's battling first place, the baby jogger guy. So I'm in like fifth place running with a, a guy. And I'm like, again, because I'm like you, I start chatting next to the guy. I'm like, we cannot get beat by the baby jogger guy <laughs> he's like and it's a two loop thing it's a it's a it's a point to point but there's, you can do this double loop in the middle so you know he's like oh we'll get him on the net we'll, we'll get him on the next lap and i'm thinking no chance that guy looks like a real runner but he just happens to be pushing the freaking baby jogger so we we go we're coming around for the second lap i'm in fifth place and as you approach the uh, second lap it's a long hill very you know i don't know how long but it's very long and the baby jogger guy he, first of all the guy whoever was in first he's gone i don't know what happened to him he just he he quit at some point so now the baby jogger guy's in first and there's a baby jogger guy two other guys and and me and now we're all reeling in baby jogger guy because he just the hill's killing him so i passed the the two younger guys and then i pass the uh, baby jogger guy, and now I'm behind the lead, the pace vehicle. And I'm like, the hell's going on? I'm like, where's the tall guy who was wearing the hat? Because I didn't know they had peeled off. I thought maybe he was in front of the pace vehicle. I'm in first place now. <laughs> I'm 60 years old, and I'm in first place. I'm like, this, no, there's something's wrong here. Anyway, I end up winning the race by like a few minutes. And this, again, this is not something I ever, I, I would ever share, but I just think... It was funny because now I, I end up winning the race and I'm feeling great. And I swear the two hours of a week in hot yoga was with 100% helped me acclimate to those conditions. Absolutely. 100%. Totally. No question about it. 
Totally. So I finish. I'm like, woohoo. I'm laughing because I just, again, I don't expect to win. I actually think it's kind of funny. You know, it's just, as you know, it all depends on who shows up on any day. You know, previous years, the people winning, uh, winning, you know, five, six minutes faster than I did. But, you know, they didn't show up this year. Uh, one of them happens to be my, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Steve Boschman, who's a, he's, a, he, he's probably won it several times. Uh, and so, and then the next, the next, I call them boys because they were like 22, 23. They're coming across and they're collapsing and need medical help. My wife's like dying. She's like, Jesus, Warren, you're 60 years old. And now you got these young boys coming in. And <laughs> Thank you, hot yoga. Oh, yeah. So back to your initial point. Yoga, Chris, I wish I had started doing it 10 years ago. It's just one of those things that just gets into, you know, there's so many benefits to it to, to get into that, that fascia and all those other muscles. And uh, it's just, I am, uh, I am, uh, I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm you know, hooked. it's, it's, it's funny because I mean, I, 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 I refer to, to yoga broadly as soft tissue work. Yeah. In fact, I, I have a soft tissue work routine that I developed. That's that's yoga inspired. It's essentially a series of yoga postures is what it is. I, I'm not, I'm not a yoga practitioner. I've, I've never been trained as one, but I've studied it. And, um, I, I, I see the benefit of soft tissue work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, stretching soft tissue work, yep. yoga, is is always one of those things as endurance athletes that we just never have enough time right. to do. Yeah. You know, we we go and focus we 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 focus our time and our efforts on the sport that we're doing. Um but almost always and particularly as we get older, um more specifically as we get north of 50, it's the complementary things, the mobility work, the strength training, the flexibility work in your case the yoga that that um that really is the the key to unlocking the fountain of youth as it relates to being able to enjoy the the activities that we enjoy as long as we want to enjoy them such that um you know when eventually we walk away from the activity we walk away from it because we're deciding to walk away from it not because we have to walk away from it because we have physically broken down um so uh, you're 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 preaching to the proverbial choir <laughs> as it relates to soft tissue work but i think that's something it's a really important message for people to hear warren Absolutely. you know that um well, a couple two 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 points and then we'll and then we're going to wrap up with something but i think the two important messages are number one that it's never too late Right. You know, you you picked up yoga practice in your very late 50s uh, and you are reaping incredible benefits from it now that you're 60. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and um, uh, and 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 the other thing is that, um, uh, you know, this notion of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Um, that, um, you know, that that if that if you can focus on the preventative modalities the yes. mobility strength and soft tissue work um in in many instances it, it 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 provides a greater opportunity for healthy uh uh less less likely to to have years filled with nagging injuries that just prevent you from being able to enjoy the activities that you enjoy yeah, yeah. absolutely right? yeah um well let's 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 finish with this because i i think 
I think of of the entirety of, of of your story, this part of your story, I think I think deserves some special attention, and uh, I want you to talk about it because I know that it's important to you. Um, you have said you have said to me that quote adventure is everywhere, uh, and that you don't need to venture far from your home to experience something new. You say, just go. Yeah. The other thing that, that, that you shared with me, and this is what I want you to talk about because it's related to adventure clearly, is that, um, your, your, that your biggest legacy is that your daughters share your sense of adventure. And I know yeah. just very most recently, your daughters accompanied you on, uh, on, on an, <laughs> a, 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 a sort of a local or regional adventure of yeah. sorts this um what did you call it the warren road trip yeah yeah um warren talk a little bit about about what you see as your your biggest legacy as it relates to your daughters and and their sense of adventure yeah so i uh so up until you know every year i do a road at least one or two road trips with my daughters typically it's been a trip with the both of them, and then as my oldest one moved to New York, uh, I would do a I do a summer one with the both of them, and a fall one with my youngest one, Vivian, and my oldest daughter, Allegra, is you know join us in the summer road trip. And it's it was always uh, it started off always going to Maine to visit my sister and brother-in-law, and we would at a very young age, we took them whitewater rafting. Um, uh, my brother-in-law. Bobby Ferretti, he actually made a special raft with lawn chairs in them so that they could actually make it down the uh, the Kennebec River. I mean, so they were, you know, 14 years old going down the Kennebec. And every year we'd go back rafting, but we'd always do something else. We'd always add on something else. Uh, we'd go, uh, you know, the typical touristy things. We would do, you know, the, the Lost River or, you know, you know, New Hampshire has so many uh, you know, could be Santa's Village, Starland, or mini golf, but there was always there was always a you know that more the in the wild kind of a, like the whitewater rafting kind of a thing component, and then the, the touristy component. But I was uh, we've done that from a very young young age. Or we'd go you know up to Loon Mountain, whatever. We'd always do something uh, a little hiking, uh, and so and th that time. The, those I call them the road trips because that and that that time was always such great bonding time. You know, it's just there's something about spending time in a vehicle with somebody and just experiencing life along the way. And uh, now, so and, you, and I was always the main planner because you know when you have kids, well, when you're the when you have anybody in tow, you feel responsible. So you want to make sure they have a good time. So I would at least plan out like where we might stay along the way because the last thing you want is to not have a place to stay so those are the my uh the points along the way and then anything could happen between those points but my so this this i've had this trip in my mind for years it was it, i wanted to hit all the warrens in new england and i basically had a map on the side of my refrigerator i, I mean it's like i'm going to do this someday but this is important this is important to me but who else wants to go visit all the warrens you know when I finally mentioned to my daughters, like, you guys up for this? They grasped onto it like I didn't even see it coming. And my youngest daughter, Vivian, she actually 
did up an itinerary with maps. She was all in. I was, that was it. I was like blown away. I'm like, all right, you're not just along for the ride. You are leading the charge and nothing. And they both share this sense of adventure and going to new places. And, uh, and, and they don't have to be, we're not talking about going, you know, to Italy or, you know, and, and they've been to all these fabulous places, but it's just, uh, the things that we've experienced, you know, we'll drive across, you know, around the country and we look up roadsideamerica.com to see what hokey Americana things we can find. And it's just, I challenge everyone who's listening to the podcast, go to Roadside America and see what's in your neighbor, in your area and go, go bring your kids, bring your whoever. And uh, it's just a hoot, you know, it's just like, there's so much, and, and it's so fun to do with things. Yeah, you know, you could do these things alone, but some of these things just are so fun to do with people. But to your point, they 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 schedule, they'll plan trips with eight of their friends to go whitewater rafting. They've done the Dead River twice in Maine. I haven't even done it. They're like, Dad, you got to do the Dead. I'm like, I don't want to do the Dead. I'm afraid of the Dead. <laughs> uh, so I am just, Chris, the fact that they enjoy travel and adventure and exploring and like I said earlier, they're good, kind, happy. I'm like, I won. You know, I'm done. I'm like, nothing I'm done, but I'm like, I am so proud. And, uh, you know, I think some of the things, uh, just to follow on, you know, I think some of the things besides the besides the Warrens, I've done like state's highest peaks and different, like, unusual things. But to me, it's not about the destination. It's about the, the journey along the way and the people you you meet and it's just uh i, I if i can just share one more story because it's it's Please. it's kind of ties into all this yeah. a few years ago uh i so i'd never been to kentucky i'd been to at the time i'd been to 47 states i'd never been to kentucky so my daughter's like all right let's drive to kentucky that's not a long short drive so we're on our way to kentucky we're in ohio and we're looking at roadside america and there's the biggest supposedly this is biggest slide in this town like in, in a, just a regular playground we're like let's go to the big slide we're in somewhere in this very small town in ohio and this, we pull up and the slide's not there there's just like caution tape and uh i was like oh my god i can't believe it you know it's, it, it, there's no slide but we're, we're you know i'm like I, I still act like i'm 12 so we go on the playground and the world gig and all that stuff but pulling away i hit it i drive into a ditch and i have a flat tire so my daughters who were on Snapchat at the time, they have these great timeline of their dad at the top, you know, on at the top of the slide thing, all sad, fixing the flat, all sad, you know, me on a swing, happy. They, I mean, it was just hilarious. So but anyway, we have to, we, now it's a Sunday. We're going to get the tire fixed because, you know, we're just passing through Ohio. We're not staying there. So we go to a, uh, a local tire shop and, you know, Lo and behold, they're open, and uh, we tell them the story, and uh, the guy's great. He he gets us right in, and uh, you know, he's like, so anyway, like, why are you guys? What are you traveling through here for? And I said, oh, you know, I don't like to think. I don't want people to think that I'm in in a better place than they are. You know, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm judging a book by the cover, and I'm thinking this guy probably hasn't high. You know, he's probably hasn't 
doesn't have a high school degree. He probably hasn't traveled very much. I don't want to say, oh, yeah, I'm driving through because I want to go to my 47th state. I'm thinking he's probably never left Ohio. So I, I don't know what I said. I said, oh, you know, we're just out having a little, you know, we're in a little road trip. My daughter Vivian says, Dad, tell him why, we, tell him why, we're, going, why we're traveling to Kentucky. I said, all right, well. We're going to Kentucky because it's a state I've never been to. And, you know, it's the 47th state, you know, and I, I want to go visit. He's like, oh, my. He said, he goes, I've been to all 50 states, several of them many times. I've been to this many countries. Chris, he was a professional Bronco rider, a ranked <laughs> professional Bronco rider. And he started sharing stories about how he was in a coma from getting thrown from a bull. I mean, it was just one. of Again, when we think back on that story, it was. That was one of the highlights. And to your point earlier, you know, uh, just you need to be kind to people and talk to people. And you bring these stories. Out. Everyone has a story. And that guy had a great story. And it was fantastic. You know, <laughs> everyone, everyone, everyone absolutely has a story to tell, Warren. And it, it's, you know, it's 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 people like you and and. Uh, and your your sense of adventure um, that um, I think um, puts you in a position to help bring those stories out, right? Like I like I don't think these things just happen to you by coincidence. I think I, I think they happen to you because of your philosophy, because mm -hmm. of the way that you approach all things like this. Yeah. Um, Warren, listen, man. Thank you so much for sh for sharing your story. This was this was really really great. Thank you. That was, that was fun. You're very welcome. Appreciate it, Chris. How cool is it that Warren and his two adult daughters share a common love of adventure, and that that shared love results in being able to spend time together exploring their backyard and beyond. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walkable podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my X and Threads account at Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walkable. So make sure to check it out. And lastly, remember... The secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.